friends. I want to say welcome to Vernonia Church and our online teaching time. My name is Sam. I'm the pastor here at Vernonia Church. It's my privilege to share with you as we begin a brand new teaching series called Prepare the Way. In just a few moments, I'm going to kick off this series with a teaching about when the silence breaks, and it's going to be a great day. Hey, before we do anything, I want to pray for you. I want to pray with you. I want to invite you to pray with me as we go to God together and ask him, invite him to break the silence in our lives, to help us prepare our lives to prepare the way for Jesus, whether it's in our life or in people around us in their life. Let's invite God to prepare the way by breaking his silence in our life so that we can hear from him and speak to him and know his presence so that we can prepare the way. Uh, let's pray together and I'll explain more about what all that means as we get into our teaching, but let's pray together and then we'll dive into our teaching. Father in heaven, uh, we pray just a prayer of thanks that Jesus has come into our lives, that Jesus has come into this world. And God, I, I want a prayer, prayer of thanks for what you did to prepare the way for Jesus to come, uh, to prepare the way for Jesus in our hearts, to prepare the way for Jesus in the lives of those we love and we care about. And we pray that today, God, you would open our hearts and open our minds, that you would open our lives up to hear from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said together, amen. I want to tell you a story. It's a, it's a story that, well, I just don't know really what to do with it. It's a story about a friend of mine. A friend of mine years ago came to me and he said, Sam, uh, I want you to baptize me. <laughs> that was the easiest evangelism that, uh, that, that, that I ever experienced. It's not very often someone calls you out of the blue and says, hey, I want you to baptize me. I want you to lead me to Jesus. But he did. He called me up and he said, I want you to baptize me and I uh, want you to lead me to the Lord. And I, I said, absolutely. I'd, I'd love to do that. How can I help you? And he said, well, let me tell you a story. Uh, now, uh, something I need to share about this friend of mine is that Earlier in his life, and he'd tell you this, he would never talk about God, think about God. He never had interest in God. Uh, he had lived a hard life, a, a life of addiction and a life of struggle and a life of a lot of uh, bad choices. And he said, I was just at a time where in my, in my life where I, I needed something, I knew I needed something. He said, I actually heard a voice. And he said, I, I heard a voice and it was, it was the voice of Jesus saying, you need to come to me. And, and, he, and he told me this story and he said, after I heard that voice, I, I had to think about, well, how do I do that? And so he called me and said, how do I do that? And will you lead me to Jesus? Because Jesus told me I need to come to him. And, and, and what an amazing story that is when he told me that I didn't know what to do with it. Uh, because honestly, as a pastor and as a Christian, I've been a Christian for decades now, and I've been a pastor for decades now. Uh, I've never had anybody come to me and say to me, Jesus told me 
to, to that I needed to come to him. I, I've never I've never personally had an experience where I heard an audible voice from God. Now, don't get me wrong, I've heard from God and I've learned from God and I've listened to God. I, I hear him through his word where he tells us clearly that he speaks through his word. Uh, I've heard from God through the nudging and the leading of the Holy Spirit. I've heard from God as God spoke to me through other Christian people that loved God who he was giving wisdom to and they were sharing their wisdom to me. I've heard from God in all those ways, but I've never actually heard an audible voice. I didn't know what to do with that, but here's the thing. Who am I to say that God wouldn't do that in his life. And and what I did is I said, well, if that's what it takes to get his attention and, and if that's what it takes to lead him to Jesus, well, I'm going to go ahead and lead him to Jesus. And we, we did some studying and we talked about scriptures and we looked at what God has said about coming to him. And, and, and I studied baptism with him and I've baptized him. And, and to be honest with you, I, I would probably today be more skeptical about his experience if I baptized him and he went on and just kept living the way he was but he didn't years ago he made that decision and today he's on fire for the lord sharing jesus with everybody that he can uh, he he's he's a better father to his children a better husband to uh, to his wife and, and and he is on fire for the lord and serving the lord because god spoke to him god called him and then he made that decision to stay with that decision i still don't know what to do with that experience i almost wish that god would uh, God would uh, speak to everyone like that because it would make my job so much simpler. <laughs> and, and I almost wish that God would speak to me like that. I would love it to hear from God like that. Uh, but a lot of us will never have that experience, partly because I think God, in in most of uh, mo for most of us, wants us to learn to have faith without hearing, to have faith without seeing, to have faith in what he's already said that we have in the scriptures. Uh, to hear from God like uh, like my friend did is something that most of us won't have the privilege of of experiencing in that way, if you know what I mean. But we're going to be talking today about a story where people actually heard from God that way. We're going to take a look at a story where, where we see that God wants to speak into our lives. And sometimes we can feel like God is is silent, that God is quiet, not necessarily silent and quiet in terms of hearing an audible voice, but just silent and quiet in our life. Maybe we come to a place where, where, where we feel like he's not hearing our prayers. We come to a place where we feel like, uh, you know, where is he in the situation? We're saying, God, where are you? Have you maybe you've been in a situation or in trouble or in a place where, where you were praying and God wasn't answering and you're saying, God, where are you? You're far away from me. And I love coming to scriptures, passages like James chapter 4, 8, where it says, come close to God and God will come close to you. The truth is, even with my friend, that moment that he heard whatever he heard, well, that was a solitary moment in, in hours and days 
and years of walking with Jesus. He's had to learn how to walk with Jesus with silence, uh, walk with Jesus and in faith in his word and hear from him through his word and through the leading of the Holy Spirit and, and through the advice and wisdom of other godly Christians. He's had to hear from him in different ways. Uh, in his Christian life. And that's how God wants us to come to a place where we can hear from him. We're not necessarily looking for that audible voice, but we're looking for his presence and we want to know that he's there. And so we, he says, come close to me and I'll come close to you. And I want to begin this series where we're going to take a look at a special life that had amazing significance. And it was through this life that God was going to speak to his people. And through this life, God was going to speak to us. And this will be a life that will matter in a big way. In fact, Jesus later on would say about this life, he will say that no one who ever came before or after would be as important and leave as important of a mark as this life. And what was that life? Who was that life? Well, we're going to talk about that. But his life would end up being a life that was all about preparing the way for Jesus. That was what his life was all about. And I just want to do this series and this study where we're going to take a look at how that is probably the most significant, the most important thing that any of us could ever make our lives about. Preparing the way for Jesus. Preparing the way for Jesus in my own heart and in my own life and preparing the way for Jesus to come into the lives of my family and my children, into the lives of my neighbors and, and my community, into the lives of my workplace and my culture. The most important, the most significant thing that any of us could ever do is to prepare the way for Jesus. All of us want our lives to matter. We all want our lives to matter in a big way. We all want our lives to make a difference. And and the the good news is God says your life matters incredibly. He he shows you how much your life matters by giving his own life on a cross to tell you that's how important you are to him. But on top of that, your life matters. When you come to Jesus and you become a believer, your life matters in a big way in that now you, like this fellow we're going to study for the next several weeks, now you and your life matters because your job is to prepare the way for Jesus, just like his was. Your job is to prepare the way for Jesus to come into the lives of the people around you, of the people you love and you care about, and into your own life. Well, the man that we're going to talk about, you may have guessed it, is a man named John. And we're going to begin looking at his story. And for this series, we're going to study John and, and his life as the Bible tells us about his life. We'll come to know him as John the Baptizer or John the Baptist because his ministry would be uniquely marked by the way that he baptized people and by his message of repentance and turn to God and prepare your heart for Jesus 
who was to come. And throughout this series, I want to encourage you with this thought. I've already said it once, but I'm going to say it again and probably keep repeating it through this teaching and through this series, that you can do nothing better with your life than to prepare the way for Jesus in this world. Because that's what John was about. And John, Jesus said, was the greatest man, the greatest prophet who ever lived. And whether it's preparing the way for Jesus in your own life, preparing the way for Jesus in the life of your spouse, in the life of your kids, in the life of those around you, or preparing the way for Jesus in the life of your friends, preparing the way for Jesus in the life of your neighborhood and your community, God wants to speak through your life. There are people who will never hear an audible voice from God But what they will hear is your voice as God uses you to speak to them and prepare their hearts for Jesus. And to begin this series, I want to begin by talking about when the silence breaks. And, and, and I have my reasons for titling this teaching, When the Silence Breaks. I'll explain them in a moment. But before we can talk about preparing others for Jesus, preparing the way for Jesus to to come to others, we almost need to really focus on preparing our own hearts to receive Jesus. It's really hard for us to do the job of bringing Jesus into the world around us if Jesus isn't in us. And so we're going to talk about allowing God to break the silence in us. Again, have you ever had a time where you felt like God was silent? Maybe you're in a place today where you feel like God's silent. Uh, He's not in my life like like I'd like him to be or like I need him to be. I I don't even know if he's there. I don't don't know if he's with me right now. Maybe you've never made a first-time decision to believe in Jesus and you feel like God is silent and he's saying to you, uh, receive me and break. let's break the silence. Hear from me. Know that I love you and I care for you and let the silence break. Or maybe... You made a first-time decision. You went through all your first next steps. A a pastor led you to uh, believe in Jesus. A pastor led you and uh, you prayed and you invited God into your life. A pastor led you and and you you decided you were going to repent of some sins in your life and change things around. A pastor led you and and they baptized you and you you made those decisions. Maybe even you had a good run at it where you 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 lived for Jesus for a little while but now you find yourself in a place where you feel like God's far away and and you're not sure why you're not sure how you got there and it just seems like God is silent it would be really hard for you to prepare the way for Jesus and others because you're in a place where you feel like you don't have Jesus in you well let's talk about that let's invite God to break the silence in us because that's what God's going to do with the story of John. He's going to break the silence and he's going to break a long time of silence. You see, by the time we come to Luke chapter 1, which is where we're going to turn to, if you have a Bible at home, uh, open up to Luke chapter 1. 
When we come to Luke chapter 1 in the New Testament, things have been pretty quiet for a pretty long time. 400 years quiet for a long time. The people of Israel, the people of Judea, uh, the people who were God's people haven't heard from God for quite a while. Nobody's heard an audible voice. Things have been silent. Things haven't been going their way. They, they find themselves in a place where they're under the rule of a crooked king named King Herod the Great, who reigned, by the way, from uh, around 38 B.C. to 4 B.C. If I, I think I have that right in my head, and I'm online, so if I got that wrong, forgive me. But uh, it had been quiet. Herod liked to build things. He rebuilt the temple. He, he built a lot of things, but he was a corrupt politician. He was very paranoid and, and very wicked. He was the kind of guy that, well, he killed his wife. He killed two of his sons because he thought maybe they were a threat to his throne. The same Herod who tried to kill Jesus when he was born, when he had heard that the king of the Jews had been born, he had, uh, he had all the children up to two years old in the region where Jesus was born killed. Uh, this was Herod the Great. He was the king of the Jews. He wasn't a real king. He liked to be called king. He was actually uh, subject to the, the emperor of Rome at the time. But King Herod is mentioned in Luke chapter 1, just so we're sure that as Luke tells us this story, he's grounding it in history. This isn't a once upon a time type story. This is this is God moving and God speaking in history. But when we turn to Luke chapter 1, it had been 400 years about since anyone heard from God. 400 years since the book of Malachi was written, which is the last book in the Old Testament. Uh, that book was written by the last prophet who was uh, speaking on behalf of God, who heard an audible voice, who shared the messages that God wanted him to share, who had the Holy Spirit leading him in writing scripture and sharing Jesus uh, or uh, sharing God with people. Interestingly, Malachi will end. The last verses of the Old Testament will end with hope and a promise that God would one day speak again. In Malachi chapter 4 verses 5 to 6, God says this through the prophet Malachi, look, he says, I am sending you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day that the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. And, and it's almost as if Malachi just sort of ends with that thought. All of the scriptures that were written until that time ended with that thought. For 400 years, God was quiet. God was silent. Not to say God wasn't working and that God wasn't providentially at work. And, and not to say that people weren't turning to God, loving God, and trying to seek God. Because there were some who were. But by the time we hit Luke chapter 1, it's almost as if Luke, when he writes his book, the Gospel of Luke, he picks up where Malachi Malachi left off and he says, look, God 
is fulfilling his promise. And what he's going to do is he's going to begin his story with the story of a birth. Now, we just came off the heels of Christmas and our Christmas series and our Christmas season where we celebrate the birth of Jesus. And often we, we miss that the story of the birth of Jesus was told in parallel with the story of the birth of John for a reason. John would come to us announced six months before the angel Gabriel ever visits Mary. John will be announced as the, the, the forerunner, the one who would come before Jesus to announce the coming of Jesus. And here we're going to dive into the story as Luke picks up and he says, God began to speak with the arrival of an angel, the angel Gabriel, one of the few that we know their name. The angel Gabriel will show up and he will announce to us that 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 this promised prophet has arrived. The silence of 400 years would be broken. In Luke chapter 1, verse 17, it says this. Uh, the angel Gabriel says this about this, this John who was going to be born. He says, he will go before the Lord in the spirit and in the power of Elijah to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And John's life. His birth would be miraculous. His life would be miraculous. He, he, would, he would share a message that was amazing. John's life would always be pointing to prepare people to receive Jesus. He would prepare the way for the Lord. And God wants to use your life to do that, but he wants to break the silence first. And so the story of John begins with the story of of a good man, of a godly man, of a man who was praying, of a man who he and his wife had their struggles, and who probably at times felt like God was silent. But he, he would have God break that silence in his life. What I want to do with our teaching this morning is look at the story of this man, his experience with this angel. And I want to talk about what do we do when we need God to break the silence in our life. And so let's take a look at this story. Well, we meet this man who would be the father of, the, of John. We meet him at the temple. Interestingly, Luke begins his gospel at the temple and ends his gospel at the temple. He begins and ends at the place where God said, you can meet me here. You can hear from me here. And he begins with this man who's at the temple. He's, he's there at the temple. His name is Zechariah. And he's about one. Uh, he's one of about 21,000 priests who were all serving God. Uh, he was one of 21,000, and he was unique among the priests. I mean, as you read the gospel story, most priests had a, 
uh, well, they would become the antagonists of the story. They would, they would antagonize Jesus. They would struggle with Jesus. They were filled with hypocrisy, and they had, they, they had their, their self righteousness, and they had all this. But Zechariah was different as a priest. Zechariah was a man who was, well, he had a reputation for being upright and righteous and a good man. We shouldn't think of Zechariah as a priest who was one of the uh, elites. He wasn't rich or wealthy. More likely, Zechariah and his wife, Elizabeth, were humble. Uh, they, they were poorer. They lived in a small town outside of Jerusalem. You could think of Zechariah the way that you would think of as a God-fearing, God-loving, humble uh small-town pastor. I mean, that, that's kind of who Zechariah was. And, and Zechariah had the opportunity to do something that was sort of a once-in-a-lifetime thing. He was chosen out of 21,000 priests. He was chosen to be the priest for that day who would go into the temple and light the incense, uh, light the incense at the altar of incense. Now, uh, I need to explain to you what that was. Uh, one, w- once in a lifetime, if ever, a priest would have the opportunity to enter into the temple and to enter into a special room in the temple and light the incense at the altar of incense. The way the temple was designed, it was designed so that there was the idea that with every room going closer and closer to the center, you were getting closer and closer to the presence of God. And so you had uh, different areas of the temple. You had the holy place, which was you're getting close to God now. And then there was the most holy place where God's presence was, where special items that represented God's presence was. And in the holy place, there was a curtain that separated the most holy place from the holy place. And at that curtain was an altar of incense where, where, where the priest who was chosen for that special day would, would walk up with two of his friends. One of his friends would, would lay down, uh, would clean off the altar from, from the previous time that the altar of incense was burned. And then that friend would, would clean it off. He would walk backwards so as to always be facing the presence of God. He would walk backwards outside of the holy place and back outside of the temple. Then his other friend would lay down hot coals around the altar, and then he would worship, and he would back out facing always the most holy place as he walked out of the temple, leaving the prophet to stand there all by himself praying by himself while others prayed and others who were outside prayed and Zechariah had the opportunity to be the one this day who went into the holy place probably the closest he would ever get to the presence of God so to speak as he was there kneeling and praying and lighting 
that incense. Now what that incense represented was prayers being lifted to God as the smell and the fragrance and the smoke were lifted up. So too, this priest would pray and he would pray for the things, the cares, the concerns, the worries of his heart. And he would pray for the cares and the concerns and the worries and the and the desires of, of the people that he was serving, the people who were outside of the temple and praying while he was in there doing his work. He would pray on behalf of, of all the people. And Zechariah had his own personal prayers. Zechariah and his wife, they, they were... Well, they were known to be upright people and, and righteous people and known to love God, but they did have their own struggles. They had a big struggle. One of those struggles was a struggle with not having kids. That was an important struggle for them, especially in their day. Zechariah was a priest. His, his wife was the daughter of a priest, and, and they couldn't have kids. And in their culture, in their day, if you couldn't have kids, then then it was considered you had a curse on you. And Zechariah, whether true or not, probably felt like, God, where are you? God, you're silent. We're trying to have kids and we can't have kids. Why can't we have kids? Don't you love me? Don't you care about me? And if you've ever gone through uh, barrenness and you couldn't have kids and you know that feeling, and that's where Zechariah and his wife were. But Zechariah prayed and prayed and prayed and they, they, they prayed for a long time. In fact, they prayed all through their childbearing years for kids. Well, by the time we meet Zechariah in the temple here, he's well past his childbearing years. Most think that he was probably 60 to 80 years old. You weren't considered old in their culture till you were 60. And, and, and we don't really know. One guess is as good as another as to how old Zechariah was. But he was past his child-rearing years. And maybe that prayer was a prayer they still prayed. Or maybe that prayer was just an old prayer that along the way they stopped praying for. And I imagine... That part of what Zechariah was praying as he knelt there at the altar was, God, would you speak? Would you speak into my life? God, would you speak? Would you speak into the lives of the, the people here? God, we need you. We crave you. And maybe you can relate. Whether it was because of barrenness and you've been praying for a baby or, or, or whether it's just you're dealing with some other struggle and you've been asking God to speak into your life or to speak into your situation and, and nothing's been happening and you find yourself, God, will you speak? Maybe you can relate to that. But one thing that we know that, that Zechariah did, even in the silence, was he stayed faithful. He didn't say, well, God, because you're not speaking, I'm, I'm going to go away. God, because you're not speaking, I'm going to rebel. God, because you're not speaking, I'm just going to turn bitter or I'm going I'm I'm to become corrupt or I'm going to follow the ways of the, of the world because, God, you're just silent. No, he didn't do that. He didn't do like a lot of people do today. In Luke chapter 1, verse 6, it says this about Zechariah. Zechariah and Elizabeth, his wife, they were righteous, not just in people's eyes, but it says they were righteous in God's eyes because they were careful to obey all the Lord's commands 
and regulations. Even though sometimes life wasn't going the way they wanted, they were still careful to be righteous and upright. They were still careful to obey God. And they were chosen. God chose Zechariah. Zechariah was chosen for this once-in-a-lifetime moment to stand there and light that incense. And then the silence breaks while in prayer. In Luke chapter 1, verse 10, it says, while the incense was being burned. Now you have to picture the, the scene. This wasn't a well-lit room like the room that I'm standing in. There wasn't lights everywhere. This was a dark and dim room. The only light in the room was the, uh, the, the, the seven candles that were lit that were over on the other side of the room. Uh, this room was dark, candle-lit, and uh, he's praying. And while he was praying and burning incense... This great crowd that was outside, they stood outside and they were praying. They were waiting for him to do his job, asking God to break the silence. And in Luke chapter 1, verses 11 to 2, it says this, When Zechariah was in the sanctuary, the, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. Maybe you've uh, felt that kind of fear. You thought you were in a room alone. All of a sudden, there's someone standing next to you. You didn't hear come up, and it startled you. You ever have a moment like that? Well, imagine it was an angel. And, and the way that Luke tells us this part of the story, it's as if uh, as if Zechariah got down, and, and he's praying, and he's asking God to break silence, and the angel just kind of is standing there, waiting for him to be done, waiting for him to notice. And when he notices, he's startled, he's afraid, he's overwhelmed with fear, which, which you could imagine. This once in a lifetime moment he's in the presence of god in the temple of god in the most holy place and then there's an angel and maybe he's going oh did i do something wrong am i about to get struck down i don't know what he was thinking but the angel says in luke chapter 1 verse 13 he says don't be afraid which is something that angels commonly say when people see them don't be afraid zachariah god has heard your prayers now, I just want to stop there for just a moment. You may feel like God is silent. You may feel like God doesn't hear. You may feel like God is not there, but God hears your prayers. He's heard them all. He has heard. And by the way, with those words from that angel, those words were the first words God has spoken in 400 years. I hear your prayers. Those are the words that God breaks silence with. Those were the first words that, that people will hear in the New Testament times. Those were the first words that the Holy Spirit spoke. Those are the first words that the God of heaven would, would break the silence with. I hear you. I, I see you. I, I know what you're going through. And God breaks the silence saying, I hear your prayers and sometimes when we feel like God is silent we just need to keep praying we, we need to keep praying and, and make sure we're staying upright and righteous in the way that we're living 
not self-righteous. It doesn't mean that, that Zechariah was perfect. We'll talk about that in a moment. Because really, the way it works, maybe we'll just talk about it now, the way it works is, I trust and rely on God's grace and his forgiveness. Zechariah was in a place like that too. He had faith in God that God would forgive him for his sins. But at the same time, you use that faith to motivate you to want to live for God. And that's the way Zechariah had lived. That's why he was up, uh, upright and, and considered righteous. He would, he would try to keep God's word and keep God's laws in his life because that's where God has spoken. And so he was putting God's word to work in his life, relying on him for forgiveness, relying on him for grace, and at the same time, living for him because he appreciated what God has given in forgiveness and grace. In Psalm chapter 17, verse 6, the psalmist says, I'm praying to you because I know you will answer me, O God. Bend down. And listen as I pray. And you know when you pray, when you reach out to God, we have a picture there. A picture of the way a dad bends down to hear his little child speak. A, a picture of the way that a father will bend their ear to listen to their children. I don't hear so well these days, and and when someone's talking to me and I really need to hear them, I have to turn my ear their direction. And the psalmist is saying, God, bend your ear to me. Sometimes I have to do one of these deals. God, bend your ear to me when I pray. And do you know that God does? He says, I hear you. I hear you when you pray. And so we we pray and we invite In moments where we feel like God is silent, we pray and we invite God, speak to me. And I just want to talk about some of the ways we invite God to speak and work in our lives. One of them is this. We invite God, speak to me. God, I want to hear from you. Speak to me. The next one is this. We invite God, say, God, don't just speak to me, but guide me. So sometimes we don't hear from God because we're not inviting him to speak into our lives. And sometimes we're, we feel like God is silent and absent because, well, we're not letting him guide us. The angel, as he's telling Zechariah about this, about this prayer that he has heard will tell Zechariah the way God's going to answer your prayer is he's going to give you a son. Now I imagine Zechariah maybe had a moment where he goes, oh, (laughs) that's the prayer you heard? I don't know, maybe Zechariah was thinking, man, I haven't prayed that prayer in 20 years. <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't know if I want that one answered now. I'm 60 to 80 years old. You're going to give me a son? But the angel, as he says, God has heard your prayers. 
He will continue in Luke chapter 1, verse 13, saying this, God's heard your prayers. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. Now, we're going to talk about John's name a little bit next week. But I wonder, I wonder if he was going, well, what about the maybe some other prayers we, we could talk about right now? But Luke wants us to know that we can account for the life of John because God worked a miracle. Like I said, we came off the heels of Christmas where we talked about the miraculous birth of Jesus. And the miraculous birth of Jesus is obviously a a bigger miracle uh, because John, he would be born to a couple who was barren all their life and, and in their old age. And Jesus would be born to a virgin who shouldn't have had a child at all. And, and, and so, you know, that one, that, that one trumps the, the first. And really the story of John will be that way. I mean, his job was to prepare the way for Jesus and his story will be told in parallel to the story of Jesus. But all along the way, John would, even though he would be great, would always be outshadowed by Jesus who is greater. John was just here to prepare the way. But the angel continues saying, You will have great joy and gladness when this son is born, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. Not just great in the eyes of people, because there were some people that didn't think John was all that great. They didn't like what he would have to say. But most of the people who, who would hear what John was saying and who would receive what John was saying, they would have great joy. He said he, the angel could Continues, he must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his birth. John would be different. Uh, John, from, from, from birth till death, he wouldn't touch alcohol. Not necessarily because alcohol is, gets in the way of our relationship with God. Alcohol can if you're uh, dealing with an addiction and that sort of thing. Uh, but for John, he was going to live completely different than the people around him. And there's something to be said for living differently than the world and the people around you as you prepare the way for Jesus in the life of those around you. And as if you prepare the way for Jesus in your own life. But what would really set John apart is that he would have the Holy Spirit, and Gabriel says he would have the Holy Spirit even before he's born, when he's in his mother's womb, there's something to be said for that about when God knows that uh, life begins in the womb. John the Baptist had the Holy Spirit in the womb. Uh, there's something that we could preach maybe another day uh, where it comes to the sanctity of life in God's eyes. But what would set him apart was that he would have the Holy Spirit even before he's born. Now, for us who've been around the church a long time and we talk about the Holy Spirit, we don't realize how rare the Holy Spirit was. It had been 400 years since the Holy Spirit was in anyone. 
It, it would. It has been 400 years since there was a prophet who had the Holy Spirit leading and guiding and inspiring the work of Scripture and inspiring the message. The Bible will teach us that the Holy Spirit is God's very own Spirit. And the Bible will teach us in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was very rare. Very rarely did the Holy Spirit come into somebody and live in somebody and work through somebody. The Bible will teach us that the Holy Spirit is the author of Scripture. The Holy Spirit speaks through His Word. The Holy Spirit inspired those who wrote down the words of God, who wrote down the books of the Bible. At that time, the only Bible they had ended in Malachi. And it had been 400 years since the Holy Spirit was around. And now this baby would be born with the Holy Spirit. This baby would be born and, and he would have the guidance and the leading and the power of the Holy Spirit in his life. Now here's where I find it interesting. Because unlike the people in the Old Testament, those of us who follow Jesus have a promise that not only will we be forgiven when we follow God, but God promises to bring his presence into our lives to teach us, guide us, speak to us, nudge us as we walk with him, to give us the power and the strength to live a life that's upright and righteous and to live for him. He gives us the Holy Spirit. When God forgives us, he gives us the gift of grace. He gives us salvation. He gives us hope of heaven. But he gives us also his indwelling in us. Just like John, who had the Holy Spirit in him from before birth. The moment you are reborn, when you accept Christ, you also receive the Holy Spirit in you. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, when the apostle Peter was preaching to the very first people who would who would give their life to Jesus, who would become believers, who would become Christians, to the very first people who would become the very first church. The Apostle Peter says this in Acts 2.38, Each of you must repent, which means to turn around and give your life to God. Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then, he says, once you've done that, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. God's gift on top of his gifts is that he comes into our life and he lives within us. And, and here's the thing. When you feel like God is silent and God is absent and you, you, you've decided that you're going to walk with him and you give your life to him, even if you feel like he's not there, he's there. He's inside of you. As a believer, you can always know that God is present. And sometimes we can forget that because we aren't letting God guide us by his spirit. Sometimes we can feel like he's not there because we're not listening when he speaks. The spirit will, will speak uh, most 
clearly, not necessarily by an audible voice, but by his word, the Bible, which he tells us, that's where I've already spoken. In the scriptures, as you open them up, God's spirit is speaking through the black and white or whatever color the words are on the page that you're reading. God's spirit will guide us and and he will help us as we read his word, as we listen to him and as we obey him. And his spirit will speak to us and prompt us and tell us, hey, now's the time to obey that verse. Now's the time to put that to work in your life. Now's the time. And he will counsel us and help us as we listen to him. But here's the thing. We have to invite God's spirit to guide us. And if we're in a time where we feel like he's silent, we might ask, well, why would he speak if I'm not listening? And so I say, God, God, guide me. In 2 Timothy chapter 1.14, the apostle Paul tells us, through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, carefully guard the precious truth that has been entrusted to you. And what he's saying to us and what he's saying to Timothy is to take what God's Spirit has said and guard it and make sure that in our life we're obeying it and make sure in our life that we're following it. Guard it carefully share it carefully and put it to work carefully and the best thing you can do when you feel like God is silent is keep praying and keep inviting God to speak but it's also to invite God and his spirit to guide you in today's world so many of us Christians simply take the Holy Spirit for granted some Christians will talk about the Holy Spirit as if it's this wild and fanciful and 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 strange thing and they'll do strange things and and they'll say that was the holy spirit and and others of us will be afraid to talk about the holy spirit because we don't want to seem like those kind of weird folks and, and and we could take the holy spirit for granted the fact that we have god's spirit right inside of us and and sometimes even when we have the spirit in us we we go on living like the world we adopt the values of the world and we don't guard carefully what's been entrusted to us as believers we we don't guard it instead we just let sin reign in our lives and we go on living like as if we don't have a holy spirit within us and and when we're believers and we live in brokenness and, and, and we, we, well, we wonder why God is silent. And part of the reason why God is silent is the Holy Spirit is grieved within us. It says in Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul, as he was talking to Christians like you and me, he said this, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Some of us live in such a way that, that we have the Holy Spirit in us, but we're grieving him. And then we go, God, I don't know where you are. And he says, I'm right here. Just start following me. Invite me to guide you. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 7-8, again talking to believers, the Apostle Paul will say, God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. He called us to let the Holy Spirit guide us into holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God, who gives us the Holy Spirit. And what he's saying is, God didn't call us to sexual impurity. 
God didn't call us to homosexuality. God didn't call us to affairs. God didn't call us to unfaithfulness. God didn't call us to drunkenness. God didn't call us to addictive, uh, to addiction, to drugs. God didn't call us to divisiveness or rage or anger or bitterness. God didn't call us to selfishness. God didn't call us to deceit. God didn't call us to materialism. God didn't call us to look for the next quick buck. God didn't call us to envy or lying or stealing. Uh, God didn't call us to those things. And yet, a lot of us live in such a way that we practice them. And yet, a lot of us, even those of us who are believers, live in such a way that approve and support the things God didn't call us to. And it grieves the Holy Spirit. When we live like that, it grieves the Holy Spirit. And, and, and we can feel. It's no wonder sometimes we feel like God is silent. And when we reject God's call for our own holiness, we aren't rejecting, by the way, a preacher. We aren't rejecting a church. We aren't rejecting a theology, or someone's opinion. What Paul tells us is we're rejecting God himself who gives us the Holy Spirit. And so, sometimes, when we feel like God is silent, maybe the, what we need to do is say, God, guide me. Guide me by your Holy Spirit. Guide me. Speak to me with the Holy Spirit, the very same Holy Spirit that the prophets had who wrote Scripture. The very same Holy Spirit that John would preach and teach and be filled with. The very same Holy Spirit who would come down on Jesus like a dove at the moment of his baptism. The very same Holy Spirit that Jesus promised would give power uh, to the apostles as they preached God's word. The very same Spirit, that same Spirit is in you and me when we believe in Jesus and receive what he gives us when he gives us grace at the cross. and you invite him to guide you, God will break the silence. And sometimes, sometimes I need him to restore me, to break the silence. And so we could say I need to invite, which is number three, I need to invite God to restore me. I love this next one because sometimes we can feel like like we haven't been listening to the Holy Spirit. We haven't been walking and gui being guided by the Holy Spirit. We haven't been praying and continually praying. We haven't been we haven't been living for God, and so God has been silent and feels far away. And Gabriel, the angel, tells Zechariah that this son and his messages would do something. In Luke chapter one sixteen, he says, "Many of the people of Israel." will he bring back to the Lord their God. Many of God's people he will bring back to the Lord. Did you know that God wants to bring you back 
to himself. Maybe in your life you walked away and God wants to bring you back. Maybe in your life you've done some things that you're ashamed of and you carry guilt and shame because you've done them. God wants to bring you back. And guess what? God wants to bring all of us back to himself. And sometimes all it takes is inviting God to restore us. God, restore me as one of your children. God, restore my faith. God, restore my heart. God, restore my walk with you. I've, I've messed it up. I've ruined it. I've gone the wrong direction. I've, I've hurt my family, the people around me, my friends. God, restore me. The good news is God would use John to break the silence and say you can be restored. I've had many conversations with people who would say something along the lines of, can I start over with God? Is it possible? I mean, I've gone so far away. How can I start over when my friends all know what I've done? Family all knows what I've done. The evidence is plain as day that I haven't walked with God. How can I be restored? Won't people think I'm a hypocrite? And the answer is this. Not at all because repentance means I turn around. You're a hypocrite if you just keep going the same way. But if you turn around and you let God restore you, give you the new start that he wants to give you to bring you as his child back to his family. He wants to bring you back to himself. And sometimes when we come back, there's baggage that we come back with. And he says, that's okay. I put that to death on the cross. Your past, it's gone. Yesterday, it's gone. What you did a month ago, it's gone. What, what everyone knows you did, it's gone. Just come back to me. And I'll restore you. Sometimes when God's silent, we need to invite God. God, will you restore me back to you? I've had to have times like that. All of us do. Even in our Christian life, there will be times where we, we stray and we need to come and we say, God, restore me. Help me start over. I need a new, fresh start. Maybe we pray something along the lines of the prayer in Psalm 51, 12, where he says, God, restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. I can't do it on my own. And God says, I want to restore you back to myself. That would be the message. God would break the silence and speak through John. That he will prepare the way for Jesus by telling people, you can be restored through him. God, restore me. And sometimes along with that restoration, we need to invite God. God, will you improve? me improve me god help my walk with you to improve zechariah and elizabeth they were upright and righteous and they obeyed the commands of god uh, th that's the way they lived in luke chapter 117 uh, zechariah uh, the gabriel tells zechariah that this son john he would not only restore people but here's what he would do he says and and, and he will go before the lord in the spirit and the 
power of Elijah, who was another prophet, a well-known prophet in the Old Testament, who (laughs) did some pretty amazing things by the Holy Spirit's power. And then he says, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children. Now, we could stop there for a minute because that sounds kind of strange. I mean, that's the impact he's going to have. He's going to turn hearts of fathers to their children and and the hearts of children to their fathers. And partly what this was meant to do, as Luke wrote it, as Gabriel said it, was to link this birth to the promise of Malachi its last verses who said that one like Elijah would come and what he would do was restore the hearts of fathers to their children. But I think what he's saying here is that this this message John has will have a real, a lasting, a generational impact. You know, one of the things that happens the farther and farther that a culture gets away from God the farther and farther every generation will get from God. And the generation we live in, the generations, the the, the next upcoming generations, they're some of the farthest from God that, that, that we've ever seen in our culture. Why? Because parents' hearts are not for their children. Uh, parents aren't, aren't leading their children to Jesus. Parents are very interested in whether their children are getting good grades, whether they're playing in sports, whether maybe they're very interested in seeing them go to college, succeeding, getting a good job, becoming a, a sports star, or a musician. They're very interested in some of those things, but parents have no interest whatsoever on whether their children are at church learning about Jesus or whether they go to heaven. Fathers' hearts are not for their children. A good indicator of a culture and how far it's gotten away from God is how far the family has become broken. Families have become so broken that people aren't sure what sex to marry. Families have become so broken that children aren't sure what sex they're supposed to try to be. Families are so broken that fathers are abusing and fathers and husbands are abusing. That children are being sold into slavery, sex slavery. Families are so broken and and fathers are so absent and parents are so uninterested that school are teaching their children who to be rather than parents are teaching their children who to be. We live in a world where the family is falling apart. And, and what God says is that when, when he breaks the silence and, and people come to him, that all of a sudden things will change. Generational brokenness will change. Fathers will stop being abusive and start loving their children and leading their children to know Jesus so that they can go to heaven. Fathers will all of a sudden have a heart for their spouse. You see, when, 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 when Jesus breaks the silence in someone's heart, they then invite Jesus, Jesus, improve me. Make me better. Make my life better. A lot of families have what I would call generational brokenness. 
We all have it in our families. Some families have generational brokenness where it's just riddled with divorce after divorce and affair and sexual immorality and impurity and unfaithfulness. Some families have generational brokenness that are filled with story after story after story of alcoholism, one father to the next son, to the next son, to the next son. They've all just been a gener- just 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 been alcoholics or drug addicts just continually. Some families have stories of brokenness and absent fathers where fathers have children and then move on and single moms are raising their kids and there's this generational brokenness in their family story and somewhere along the lines Jesus can come in and break that brokenness God improve me stop the generational brokenness with me Come into my life and change me. Heal me of this generational brokenness so that my kids can grow up with something better. That's what it means for fathers to have heart for their children and their children to look at their fathers to say, that's who I want to be. That's what it means to prepare the way for Jesus in our family. God, improve me. Improve me from who I was. God, improve me. Help me to do better than what was already done by my parents. God, improve me and take me from where I'm at, my brokenness, my sin. Put it on the cross and help me. Improve me. Make me make me better as I live for you. Sometimes becoming better takes work. (laughs) It could be hard to break a, to break abusiveness, to break anger and bitterness. It could be hard to break an addiction. It can be hard, hard work, but we shouldn't be afraid of that hard work. In fact, in 2 Timothy 2, 15 to 16, it says work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval work hard you're not working for your salvation he gives that to you when he dies on the cross for you but now he says it's time to work hard to have a better life to live better work hard And to gain his approval, be a good worker, one who doesn't need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. With that work, improvement happens. Children get a better father. Wives get a better husband. And I think, by the way, he picked on fathers and not mothers because mothers are, I I feel like mothers are quicker to turn to God. It's common to find ladies' Bible studies and ladies who go to church without their husbands. But what God wants to do is start with husbands, men who he leads to God. Work hard 
to be the man of God in your home. Work hard to do the things that a Christian husband does. In Colossians chapter 3 verse 19 it says, Husbands, love your wives. We could just stop there. But he says, work, love your wives and never treat them harshly. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, it says, Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Don't abuse them. Don't hurt them. Don't frustrate them. By the way, you can abuse and hurt and frustrate them by not being a disciplinarian too. You can abuse and hurt and frustrate them by not leading by example, by not leading them to Jesus. Don't provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, he says, bring them up in the discipline and the instruction that comes from the Lord. You fathers, start caring about whether your kids go to heaven and maybe care less about whether they're in the NBA. Maybe, like I said, you're in one of those generational broken families. Families, we all know them. They're families who have a certain last name that go with a certain brokenness. Maybe you're in one of those families. A family that doesn't care about whether it's walking with God. Maybe you have the opportunity to be the one who God prepares the way for Jesus into who God prepares the way for Jesus to come into and completely transform your family tree to a new story. Wow. Which he can do, by the way, by the power of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> who does that kind of thing? He does. And so I invite God to come and improve me. And I invite him last. I want to finish up with this last point. I invite him to turn me. To turn me. Sometimes God can feel like he's distant and silent in my life because, well, let's just be honest. We're just rebellious. God, I'd rather just do things my way. I don't want you or your input. And when I do get your input, I'm just going to rebel against it. Sometimes we just do that. And I don't know why we do that. Sometimes we think we know better than God. Sometimes it's just a battle of wills. Uh, we, we, God has given us the the freedom to choose, to choose our will over his will. And sometimes we say, well, God, I don't want your way. I want to go my way. It gets us into more trouble. It gets us into more heartbreak, heartache, and hurt. And sometimes I say, God, I want to go my way. It brings into my life more struggle and more brokenness. And in our rebellion and in our brokenness, we just can't see how God's way would be better. So we go with our way and we rebel. And we feel like God's silent. And he's just waiting for us to get sick and tired of being sick and tired of what our way gets. And Gabriel says what will happen as John preaches and prepares the way for Jesus in Luke chapter 1, verse 17. He will say this. He will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. That's what John's message would do as he prepares the way for Jesus. He, he's, going to, he's going to cause, he's going to preach, he's going to teach in such a way that teaches people 
who are rebellious to turn and accept the wisdom of the godly. And what's the wisdom of the godly say? In James chapter 4, verse 8, it says this, Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Sometimes even Christians will live this way, don't they? Sometimes you and I can live this way, don't we? We got one foot in the world and one foot in the church. We got one foot in what I want and my rebellion. And, and we try to put another foot in with what God wants. And, and we claim the name of Christ, but we live in sin. And by the way, as a, as a pastor, I love it when sinful people come to church. People who don't know Jesus, haven't said yes to Jesus, haven't, haven't heard the full gospel, haven't made a first-time decision yet. I love it when those people come. Come and bring your sin and hear about Jesus and how he forgives your sin and wants to change your life. But as a pastor... What breaks my heart is when I see people who love Jesus try to live with one foot in and one foot out. That scares me for them because they know the truth. They've been forgiven. They've been given new life. They've been given the Holy Spirit. And what they're doing is they're living a life that grieves the Holy Spirit. What they're doing is they're living a life where, where, where it tells us in the book of Revelation that they're living a lukewarm life and God will spit them out, spew them out if they don't become hot or cold, go one way or the other. And, and hear what God is saying through the wisdom of the godly in James 4 verse 8 is he's saying your loyalty is divided. Choose one. And if you want God to break the silence in your life, you know which one you need to choose. Deuteronomy 12, 32, God says this, See that you do all I command you and do not add to it. Don't take away from it. You don't get to choose. God gives us his word and he says, this is it. Listen. In 1 Peter chapter 1, 14 to 19, uh, Peter tells us as Christians, you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say you must be holy because I am holy. And remember that the Heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorites, he will judge or reward you according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of him. During your time here as temporary residents, we don't live in this world forever. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from an empty life you inherited from your ancestors. Your parents passed on to you an empty life if it wasn't a life in Jesus. And that life was empty. And it was not paid for 
This life that God gave you, this ransom God pays for you, it was not paid for by mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God wants to break the silence in your life. So turn to him. He wants so bad to break the silence in your life that he spilled the sinless, spotless blood of Christ for you. He loves you. He wants to give you so much more than the emptiness that this world gives. And maybe you're here today. And God wants to prepare the way for Jesus in you before he uses you to prepare the way for Jesus in anybody. He wants to speak into your life. He's doing it in this passage in Luke chapter 1. You may never hear like my friend heard an audible voice. And again, I still don't know what to do with that. But we know for a fact that God's Spirit is speaking through Luke chapter 1. That God's Spirit filled John from the moment of his birth to preach what he preached and teach what he taught. We know for a fact that God is speaking into your heart and your life right now. And he's saying, keep inviting me to speak to you. Keep praying. Seek to live an upright and righteous life as you do. Wait for me to speak. Invite my spirit to speak into your life. Invite me to guide you. Invite me to bring you back to me. Invite me to turn your life and the story of your life around. Invite me to do that. I'll break the silence. I'd like to pray for you right now. Pray that God would break the silence in you. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I pray that you will break the silence in our life. That you will speak. That you will move. God, I know that a teaching like this can sting. I'm stung. <laughs> even as I preach it, even as I prepare it and share it, I, God, I... I can see places where I need to do exactly what I'm talking about. And I don't think there's any of us here who couldn't invite you to speak more, to work more, to turn us more, to help us in our walk with you more. We're so thankful for the blood of Christ that bought us and forgives us. And we pray that you will break the silence in us more so that we so that we will be prepared more for Jesus and ourselves. God, I pray that you will open our hearts, that your spirit will truly speak clearly and guide and help and give strength as we seek to live for you. 
and invite Jesus to have more control. Later on, as John grows up, he will say, I must become less, and Jesus must become more. Oh God, that, that's true for all of us, and that's true for me. God, will you help me become less? And you become more in me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, I want to say thank you for joining me today through this teaching. Uh, and I want to invite you, be sure to come back and join us. If you can, join us for our live worship. Uh, and if you can't, join us online again as we continue this series where we're talking about prepare the way as we look at the life of John and the preaching of John. Uh, I pray that God will bless you and help you and, and encourage you as we think about how God can prepare the way for you to leave the greatest mark you can possibly leave by preparing the way for Jesus in this world. I want to finish up by declaring it's been a great day. If you're in a place where you can do it, you can join me. Uh, it's become sort of a tradition at our church in person, and it's a tradition here online. Uh, I like declaring it, it's been a great day because it's been a great day in God's Word together as we've heard from Him. And what we're kind of doing together is we're declaring it's going to be a great day as we go and live for Him. So on the count of three, you're welcome. Shout it out if you're with me here online. Uh, and, uh, and we'll declare it's been a great day. You ready? One, two, three. It's been a great day. I hope you have a great day and a great week. And I look forward to seeing you next Sunday.